Well, good morning, everybody. If you appreciate our worship team, put your hands together and thank them for their work. And on a morning like this, they rise extra early and trek their way here that we could have times like that together. We're beginning 2020 by taking this month to talk about what are we for as a church. You know, I think there's way too much dialogue today in the culture about what the church is against. Let's get on the for bandwagon. Amen? Let's talk about what we're for. And so a few weeks ago, we want to be real clear that right out of the gate in 2020, we want to declare that every single week of this church's existence, every single day, every single hour, we are unequivocally for Jesus. Right? He's a really big deal to us, like really big. We're going to sing songs about him. We're going to open scriptures and read his words. We're going to pray prayers. We're going to believe and expect that Jesus is our light, our life, our hope, our salvation, our rock, our refuge. Jesus is our everything. We are for him, which moved us right into that. If we really, really believe that, then the second thing we've been declaring we're for, we are for prayer. That apart from Him, we can do nothing. Do we really, really believe that? Prayer week this week, right? 168 hours of this past week, a bulk of them spent, several of you taking hours in the prayer room and then gathering here on Wednesday night. And we have our prayer week and our prayer services and we have prayer benches and we do prayer cards and we have prayer teams. Why? Because we are for prayer. We really believe we are desperately dependent upon Jesus for everything. And the posture of someone who knows how dependent they are on God is to the place of prayer. And so I hope you took some steps this week in your own life personally or together with us corporately that we just move the prayer notch up a couple slots this week, right? So we're for Jesus and we are for prayer. And then this moves us into our third declaration this week. We want to make a declaration that as a church we are for generosity, that we are in relationship with a God who is so abundantly generous to us. Do you think about the generosity that God has displayed to us in Jesus alone, in all that he's given us, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the community of the saints, the scriptures that he's preserved, the generosity of God that he's displayed to us, that as a congregation, we want to be generous and willing to share in light of the generosity he's displayed to us to think about all the people we could help and the ripple effect of goodness out into our world, that we want to declare that Eagle Church is for generosity. And so this morning, to kind of get us into this topic, I placed in your notes a fairly lengthy quote. Now, I know it's freezing cold in January, and I'm really stretching you with that many words right out of the gate, but this, I'm confident you can hang with me in this, and I think you'll find it worth it. It's in your notes there. If you don't have a bulletin, just follow along the screen. And those of you online, you should be able to stay with us on this as well. N.T. Wright, great writer, great author. Some of his readings are a little more accessible than others. So if you step into N.T. Wright, just kind of have to find your way to the more, you know, accessible ones. His book, After You Believe, I believe, I just feel like this paragraph embodies so well, like what are we doing as a church right now? This, What are we here for in the first place, N.T. Wright asked. The fundamental answer is to become genuine human beings, reflecting the God in whose image we're made, and doing so in worship on the one hand, 
what we've been spending the last several minutes. And in mission, it's full range and large, full and large sense on the other. And that we do this, not the least, by following Jesus. The way this works out is that it produces, through the work of the Holy Spirit, a transformation of character. This transformation will mean that we do indeed keep the rules. Stay with me here. Though not out of a sense of externally imposed duty, not that, but out of a character that has been formed within. And it will mean that we do indeed follow our hearts and live authentically, but only when, with that transformed character fully operative, like an airline pilot with a lifetime's experience, like Mark Strickland and Chad Sears when they get behind the pilot seat and there's this training that's been put and they put their hands on all that dashboard and all those dials and they know what to do, that right there. The hard work up front bears fruit in spontaneous decisions and actions that reflect what has been formed deep within. Follow this here. And in the wider world, the challenge we face is to grow and develop a fresh generation of leaders in all walks of life whose character has been formed in wisdom and public service, not in greed for money or power. Church, that's what we're doing. That's what we're about. That's the work that Jesus has called and commissioned us to do. That we are banding together to raise up a generation, all generations, from the youngest to the oldest, to see a generation of peoples grow up whose spontaneous behavior that flows out of their life is for the glory of God and the goodness of humanity. That's what we're doing. That's why right now there's a couple of hundred kids on the lower level and they're breaking up into Discovery Station and there's dozens of adults down there and and they're working with these young kids. What are they doing there? They're wanting to have them catch a vision of learning how their life and their heart can be formed and shaped in the way of Jesus. To see that generation of kids grow up and eventually in the loft with the students, Brad and the student ministry team up there with all these middle schoolers this morning. What's going on up there? This That's what's going on. Do we want to see these kids grow up whose hearts are formed in a way that the spontaneous reaction coming out of their life, hear this, is more indexed to the kingdom of God. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, like there's this other indexing that we're really good at. It's the kingdom of self and the kingdom of sin and the kingdom of darkness. Like we don't have to learn how to do that. We've got this like, it's like there's a virus that infected the hard wiring, the software system inside of us. The virus contaminated us called sin and our indexing's all off. And so we come and we gather on Sunday mornings and we open His Word and we sing these songs and we pray prayers and we build community. What is all this about? Is that we get a little more index to the kingdom of God. That we have to unlearn some things that have been kind of default messed up inside of us to begin to learn the way and the life of a heart that is formed and shaped in the way of Jesus. Because every single one of us in here is undergoing some form of of spiritual formation. Whether you are intentional about it or not, do you realize your spirit, your heart, your character is being formed? That isn't a question. You're undergoing some kind of formation. The question isn't whether that's happening. The question is what kind? What kind of formation is it? 
And we're, we're declaring as a church that we believe Jesus is the wisest and the best to teach us how to live. Like, all my chips are on Jesus' table. Like, I'm all in with him. No one says the things that Jesus says to me. No one has done the things that Jesus has done for me. I'm all in with him. I'll say, Jesus, you teach me how to live. You teach me how to get the indexing of my life right. I'm all in with him. Every single one of us got to make a decision who's going to sort that out inside of us. And it's happening. And if you didn't choose Jesus, then by default, a whole lot of other things are affecting and controlling how you're choosing to prioritize and value and respond and make decisions. It's happening. And so today, we're looking at this kind of default mode, this virus that's been corrupted inside of us in the kingdom of sin and the kingdom of self when it comes to money and possessions and material things. Like, we come out of the womb. Mom and dad, do you remember how early it is your young ones learned how to clutch and grasp and possess and not share? Did you realize you didn't have to teach them how to not share? You didn't have to teach them my stuff. Developmentally, right, there's this thing inside, the human condition that's just grabbing a hold of, that covets, possesses, envies, holds tightly, and is quite anxious about what we don't have, and is quite preoccupied and anxious also about what you do have. Like, afraid you're going to lose what you do have, and then preoccupied with what you don't have. The combination of all of that, that's like the, the, the breakdown of the wiring, the indexing inside of us. That's the human condition. The Bible word for it is sinful nature. So that's how we we just kind of default mode go into that. So then we enter in, if you're a follower of Jesus, you enter into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and Jesus invites us into this. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at how Jesus speaks in and confronts the indexing of the kingdom of sin and self when it comes to money and possessions and things, and then how he says, well, there's another way to live. There's another way to go about handling your wealth and your finances to the point where you can actually become the kind of person where the spontaneous outflow of your life is generosity. To be willing to share, to be generous, to be content, to be grateful. Like, Jesus actually believes that we can become that kind of person. And boy, if he believes that, I'm all in. I want to figure that out. I want to go his way. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to first look at the why. Why is God so concerned with this subject? And then we're going to get real practical into the how. So the why and the how when it comes to this topic of generosity and money and finances. And if some of you are newer to the church scene, you're like, oh, there we go. The church is all, always talking about money. The reason this topic is so important is because God has said it before. It's like, you can't go through many pages of this book and not have this topic come up. So I would be doing a disservice to you as a pastor by just kind of skipping over some of these harder subject matters. And so my prayer is, no matter what kind of background, maybe you've been greatly harmed by some messed up teaching on this whole subject, my prayer is we can just get centered in with what the scriptures are teaching us about how to index our lives to the kingdom of God when it comes to wealth, money, and possessions. Amen. Can we do that together? So Hebrews 13, here we go. Hebrews 13, 5 is our kind of core answer to the why question. Here's what Hebrews says. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Circle that phrase if you have your Bible, love of money. Put above it, that's kingdom of sin, kingdom of self. That's like love of money. We just go that way. We clutch, grasp, cling, hold on. 
And listen to this. Now circle, be content with what you have. Circle that one. So circle love of money. That's one side of the kingdom of self. And then circle the other side, content with what you have. That's the call. That's the picture Jesus gives of what's available. Kingdom of God. Being content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So the first phrase there in verse 5 of Hebrews 13, that, that phrase, your lives, I put in your notes the original word, it's the word tropos. It's where we get our English word tropical. It has to do with the state of our inner world. It has to do with the climate on the inside in here. So the tropos, here, here's what Hebrews 13 says. There's a certain kind of climate on the inside of our life that the love of money creates. And that climate can breed things like envy and greed and anxiety and kind of a miserly stinginess about what we do have, a preoccupation with what we don't have, all of that. Like, how does all of that grow? The love of money. There's a certain tropos on the inside in here, a certain climate, a condition in here, which is what 1 Timothy 6, I put in your notes, this is what Paul's getting at there. It says, 1 Timothy Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow, it's a good thing we don't have any commentary on that in all of our lives, right? We don't have to learn how to do that. Like how many of us have just gotten off the rails this, uh, with money and finances and still most marriage studies say this is one of the top things in a marriage that creates fractures and divisions and heartache and heartbreak. There's piercing ourselves with many griefs because of a kind of tropos on the inside that the love of money creates. So here's the short answer to why. Why is God so concerned with this topic? The short answer is this. God cares about the way we handle money and possessions because He really, really is deeply concerned with the kind of person we become. God cares about who you're becoming as a person. And He knows the power of this issue in the heart that this tropos on the inside is created in such a way that we've got to sort this out. And so the reason then, now listen, so, so the Bible, the way the Bible speaks into this issue and God then says, He calls His people into a, a routine that becomes a habit that eventually shapes a character. The routine is, bring me an offering. The habit is giving away your stuff. The formation of the character is generous in heart and spirit. Do I need to say that again? So the routine is you bring an offering to the Lord. He calls His people into a lifestyle of bringing Him an offering. Now think about this. The God who owns the world and everything in it, does He need us to bring Him an offering? That was not a trick question, by the way. The God who owns the world and everything in it, does He need us to bring Him an offering? No. So the call to bring Him an offering isn't about what He gains, it's about what we as His people gain by bringing Him an offering. He's getting at, hear this now, the, the role of giving, giving is like a thermostat for the soul. Giving sets the thermostat. It sets the environment of this tropos on the inside. Giving sets the dynamics in here in such a way, it's like a greenhouse environment that causes certain things to grow up and flourish. 
like generosity and gratitude and contentment. How does that stuff grow? He's got to get the thermostat on the wall set right, which is the routine of bringing offering, the habit of giving, and then that begins to shape like a greenhouse environment on the inside that simultaneously chokes out things like envy and greed and clutching and grasping. It starts choking that stuff out, and it starts producing. It's a greenhouse environment. It starts springing to life. Generosity and gratitude and giving away and contentment and peace and a reduction of anxiety over hot. You see that? So God's really concerned about our heart. The call for us to give and to bring an offering isn't what He gains out of it. He doesn't need anything. The Bible's clear. He owns everything. It's all His. But He knows how deeply the human condition needs to be re-indexed. It's got to be reformatted from the kingdom of sin and self. It's got to be formatted up with the kingdom of God as displayed in Jesus. They get indexed up that way. And the pathway to that is the routine of bringing an offering, the habit of giving, and then the formation comes of generosity. So that's why this is such a big deal. That's why you can't go very far in the Scriptures where He's not bringing this up. Like from the opening pages of the Bible, people are bringing God an offering. Like living with God means giving an offering to Him. Like there's no picture in the Scriptures where you're living life with God and you're not bringing something to Him because He knows how deeply embedded this is in affecting who we become. Which then, fast forward to New Testament, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount most popular and famous sermon of Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of Matthew 6, right after he says, when you pray and when you fast, look what he says, but when you give to the needy. So here's Jesus thinking, here, here, here's his life in the kingdom of God, like going to get indexed to follow Jesus. You're going to be a praying, you're going to be fasting, you're going to be giving. Like it's just, it's just the way, it's, it's lifestyle, living in the kingdom of God and giving. And he says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will, will reward you. I want you to think of it this way. Jesus says that giving can become like tying your shoes. Do you remember when you first learned how to tie your shoes? Like when you were first learning how to tie your shoes, your left hand was giving a lot of thought to what your right hand was doing. Like... You were thinking, okay, left over right and then under and then, oh, you remember that when you were really young or, or some of you are teaching your kiddos now and like they're concentrating so hard before school to get that right and oh, that's right, then the thumb with the loop and then what's your analogy? Do you use the around the tree thing? What do you do in your house? Around the tree, my dad used to say, rabbit through the hole, right? And you get that and then you pull and like you're just concentrating and you're focused, left hand, right hand and Right, that's like the early stage. I want you to think about this now. Stay with me. That, that's how it begins with this issue of money and finance and giving and possessions. It's like this when you get started. If you've never started into this road with God in this, it's like, it's like when you first learn how to tie your shoes. You're like, oh boy, I don't, oh boy, left over right. Got to really think about this one. But if you stay with it, if you stay with it, like if you tied your shoes this morning, here's what you're doing, you're tying your shoes. You're probably like looking around for your keys at the same time. You might be talking at the same time. You do it in such a way that you're not even looking. You just, this is how giving can become in the kingdom of God. It become where your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. It just becomes such a habit. It just flows out of you. Do you see that? So your giving can become like tying your shoes. Jesus actually believes we can become that kind of person. How far is that away from the indexing of the kingdom of sin and self? 
Wow. So do you see why it's like, we gotta, you got to start somewhere. And so you start in this place where you actually begin to say, okay, God, why is this such a big deal? It's such a big deal because God really cares about who we're becoming. And he knows the tropos in here, a thermostat for what's going on in here is a routine called bringing him an offering. Set the thermostat in such a way that the greenhouse environment in here gets set to choke out envy and greed and cause things like generosity and gratitude and contentment to flourish. Get that thermostat set right. So he says, bring me an offering, cultivate the habit of giving till it comes like tying your shoes and the net result becomes you become a person marked with generosity where your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. You just give because that's a way of life in the kingdom of God. You've been re-indexed. So that's under the why. Now let's push into the, the how. How does this look kind of practically and getting started in it? And the how picture, 1 Timothy 6 is one of the best chapters, I think, speaking into this. Verse 17 and following. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Some of you are like, whew, glad I'm out then. Glad I'm out of that verse. Rich in this present world. So be like, whew, that's a long way from that, Pastor Eric. I'm good. Well, hold on now. Did you realize that if you made $10,000 this past year, top 16% of wealth in the world, you're in the top 16% of the whole globe if you made 10 grand. If you made $30,000, top 1.2% of the globe, 30000 The average income in Boone County, where we're located, is $75,000. If you made $75,000 last year, you're in the top 0.12% of the globe. So, Students, those of you who are moaning, college and high school students, about how impoverished you are in life. I think Paul would say, uh, rich in this present world, top, top 16%. Probably most folks, at least 10 grand of income somewhere. So what does he say to those of us rich in this present world? Don't, don't, be, don't put your hope in wealth which is so uncertain. Do you see that? But put their hope in God. Do you see the indexing there? It's like you, you come out wanting to put all your hope in this money and possess. Don't do that. That's the virus that's corrupted the indexing. Now get indexed to king. Put your hope in God. You see that? That's what Paul's saying. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Paul says, do you see how generous God is towards us? Have you been ambushed by Jesus' love and grace? Some of you, that's your commentary on 2020. I love talking to people who've just been ambushed for the first time by Jesus' love and grace. Don't you, isn't it great getting around those folks? They just remind you again the wonder of being forgiven. I remember a brand new person, brand new believer who just kind of discovered Jesus' love and grace and he started reading the Bible and he came running up to me like a week later. He's like, Pastor Eric, have you read the book of Acts? I was like, a couple times, but he said, that's amazing. Like that book is, that book will change your life. I'm like, you're right. You know what it caused me to do that week? I went back and read the book of Acts again, right? You get ambushed by Jesus' generosity. And you can't help but say, you know what? 
there's a virus inside of me in this system. I got to get linked up to. He's been so generous towards me. Paul's saying, you got to work this muscle of becoming then what? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Do you see that? Two times he says, command them. Paul's saying, you know, this isn't something you're just going to like drift into. Have you figured that out with this whole finance issue? Like, you're not going to drift to becoming a generous person. You're not just going to kind of float along in life and wake up in your 70s or 80s and have the legacy you leave be one of generosity. That doesn't happen that way. You're going to have to, like, work the muscles of routines and habits to re-index things inside. Like, that's why Paul says, command them. So this morning is about just being faithful to saying, call us to a place of re-indexing to what? To do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share in this way. Check this out. They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that, catch this, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Well, wow, how strong is that language? Some of you right now, this is what's going on in your life. Your life is getting indexed to the kingdom of Jesus, and you're taking hold of the life that is truly life. Stuff's coming to life inside of you. It's amazing. Like, Jesus is right about everything. He's the wisest. He's the best. He knows exactly how things need to go. The more you get aligned with Him, you're like, well, it's a, he, He's just right. Yes. He's really good at it. Yes. Like, He's incredibly good at guiding our lives. Yes. But I'm incredibly good at messing it up. Yes. Like, all the above. And Paul's like, do you see the opposite then is true? Like, if we can get this right, if we can move towards generosity and take hold of the life that's truly life, the opposite must be true. If I don't sort this out, I might miss out on the life that's truly life. And I sometimes wonder if the commentary on North America's spiritual condition is right there. Could it be that in our culture, we have placed our hope in all the things we can possess and acquire? And in doing so, we have lost an ability to take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I praise God in this congregation. We have evidence of verse 19 happening in this body. Several of you in the trenches have been working this re-indexing thing for years in your life. And this congregation is a testimony to it. A couple of recent data points to just share with you to say, hey, are, are we making any progress as a church in our generosity quotient? A couple of data points this week I learned I'm going to share with you. Did you realize in 2019, just this past year, 2019, we gave away $31,000 to help families in need this past year? Single parents, um, Folks who are going through divorce, hit tough times, medical conditions, foster families, adoptive parents, all the above. People who just hit tough times, many of them in our own congregation and some of them just in our community around us. $31,000 just to help people in need. Combine that with, we gave away $178,000 in 2019 to help our local and global missions partners. To help things like what Danny Marquez and Allie King are doing down the near west side in a really tough section of the inner city with city life. Or to help like a refugee situation with Migros aid. Or to help save families, help de dealing with some really tough stuff going on in kids' lives in our communities. Or to help Petula Myers in Bosnia. Or to help Paul and Kate Keller in Sicily, Italy dealing with the refugee crisis in that part of the world. Like 
If you add that up, are you doing the math? That's that's over $200,000 we just gave away to help the needs of the world around us. That's this, church. I want to say, I want to commend us as a congregation to say, I think that's what Paul's getting at. We say, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous. That's what that looks like. That's like being generous towards the, that's it. And I think that's just getting started. Because when I look at the resources he's deposited here, did you know that we gave away over 200000 last year? The same year that we paid off our at one time $4.5 million mortgage in the same year. Now, that doesn't make sense. That can only be God, right? That's the Lord. That's God honoring this and saying, hey, stay faithful at this. Steward it this way. I'll come through. You bring me an offering. You cultivate the habit of giving. You develop a heart of generosity and watch the glory of God move forward and the goodness of people being on the receiving end of it. I think we're just getting started. Do you see why it's important as a church we declare we're for generosity? Wouldn't it be amazing in our community, like when you're around the community and you bring up the subject of Eagle Church, wouldn't it be amazing that things like this are brought up? Like, man, Eagle Church, you know, if I need prayer... I know I can go to Eagle Church. They are a praying people. They will pray for me. Not just talk about prayer, not just submit prayer requests. Like, Eagle Church is a, is a house of prayer. Man, I think God's honored by that. And then equally so, wouldn't it be something in our community when the subject of Eagle Church is brought up that commentary ripples out all around and says, wow, they're a really generous people. They just help people. We try to help as many people as we can. We just try to help. That's what the church is for. We're here to help people. All people, everywhere. And so this is the, the first thing on the how this works is that we keep working the muscle of 1 Timothy 6 of not putting our hope in wealth, but we actually put our hope in God and we, we move to this place of being rich in good deeds and giving generously. And then the second part it's 1 Corinthians 16. We do it consistently. This is 1 Corinthians 16, word about this. Now about the collection for God's people. This is the offering part. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So this is getting real practical here, right? Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, hey, first day of every week, so they would most likely have been paid weekly. So Paul says this, Whatever your rhythm is for pay, so if it's weekly or every other week or monthly, you just set aside a sum of money to bring an offering to the Lord in the rhythm that you're being paid in. And you do that. That's the routine and the habit part. And the, you say, well, how much? This, uh, the historical biblical starting spot is called a tithe, T-I-T-H-E, tithe, that means 10%. It's the starting spot. So you say, start with the first 10%. And you say, no matter what God entrusts you with, the first 10%, I'm going to turn around and bring down an offering to Him. And here's the act of faith in that. Some of you right now are doing the math in your head. The act of faith is this. God can do more with my 90% than I could do with 100%. That's the act of faith. God can actually do more with the 90% than we could ever do with 100%. That's the act of faith. Now, what it works is, do you see that this kind of consistency is the thermostat on the wall that sets the tropos in here? This is what sets the ingredients in here. 
And so we start with this concept of a tithe. Now, a couple things in response to this. Now, on the tithing front, this is actually one of the commands in the Bible where he says, test me in it. Some of you have never tithed before. Some of you, this is brand new. You've never heard this before. God actually says, test me in this. So around here, I've in the past, and I'm going to issue again in 2020, issue a 90-day tithing challenge. Take me up on it. If you've never tried it, next 90 days, take 10%, the first 10%. That means before taxes, first fruits. First 10% of whatever God entrusts you with, bring it back to Him as an offering and see what He does. Test Him in it, He says. That's what Malachi says. Test me in it. And see what God does with that 90% remaining. Now, for some of you, it's unrealistic to think starting out at 10%. I get it. So start somewhere. Start 2%, 3%. Start somewhere. Start by giving away some portion and then let God grow it from there. And for Others, for several of us in the room, 10% is just a starting point. It's got to grow from there. 10% was never intended to be like the end point, check it off. 10% was just getting the game. It's like just get the thermostat start set right, and then it should be what? Generosity. Do you think Jesus in the New Testament would like reduce the tithe? I don't think so. I don't think that's the picture you get from Jesus. The picture you get is figure out what you need to live on and then give everything else away is the picture Jesus has. So I know some folks who like reverse tithe their whole life. They just kind of live on 10% of their income and then they give away 90%. How cool would that be? There's people who do that. There's like you just cultivate a heart in such a way that you actually don't possess, you don't clutch, you don't grasp. You just keep finding ways to want to give more away because you've had a routine of bringing an offering that's become a habit of giving that's formed a tropos, a climate in here that's caused something to spring forth called a generous heart. Do you see that happens with consistency? And so that's how it works around here. And so that's why we want to just declare in the early part of 2020 as a church that we are unashamedly for generosity as a church. Man, can you imagine the ripple effect of goodness in our community and around the world as we just continue with open hearts and open hands say, God, you are unbelievably generous towards us. And as a reflection of that, I want my life to get indexed to the kingdom of Jesus, to loosen my grip in such a way, to get the tropos set in here that chokes out envy and greed and all the love of money and all that comes with the root of all the evil that love of money brings. I want all that stuff to get sorted out. Well, as we just move down this spectrum of developing this routine of bringing the Lord an offering, let it become a habit of giving. And then watch him form and shape a character like N.T. Wright's quote that we started with. That a spontaneous response like an airplane pilot sitting in their pilot seat. You just respond in such a way where it'll become like tying your shoes. Your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. It's just who you've become. Generous and willing to share. Can you imagine the glory God gets in all that? Can you imagine the goodness that ripples out? And I want to affirm so many of you that I've been able to be a part of this body with for so many, so many of you, that's exactly how you're living. And my prayer this morning before we got into that, I just pray that the Lord would just affirm and encourage you for those of you who are already living this way and the testimony for your life that is happening this way. And then for others of you, maybe this is a big challenge point. And maybe this is a key step when it comes to spiritual growth in 2020. I suspect if Jesus was to pick one topic 
for Zionsville, Indiana local church to speak about how to get indexed towards the kingdom of God a little bit farther, I'm guessing he would pick the wealthiest population in the state of Indiana is our little geography here. I just wonder, I just wonder if maybe he might start with this topic because he reckon, because he cares so much about who we're becoming. He'd be like, hey, Simpson, let's work this in such a way that you get it to the point with your finances that it's like tying your shoes. Your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand's doing. You're just generous and willing to share because of who you've become. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word. It's so practical. It's so everyday life. Uh, thanks for the generosity that this body has displayed. What an amazing year that we could see so many families helped and so much goodness come out because people just sacrifice week after week. Thank you for that. Help us be faithful. Steward everything you've given us. And, and Lord, if this is a big stretch for some, I, I pray that today, Lord, would be that wrestling match over this, Lord, that we would test you in this. We take up a tithing challenge as a start and say, test the Lord in this. See what He does. And I pray that you would help us as a church be faithful to set the tropos of our interior world around here to see generosity grow and flourish, to be grateful, to be content, to be willing to share. I pray that you get glory in all of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.